0: Welcome to another episode of Leveling Up with Brigham Blackham. I've got a very special guest today on a takeoff Tuesday with my good friend, Bill Predebon. We, we get an awesome opportunity every single week to talk, and he, we're going to dive deeper into his story. He's got a, a wealth of experience in real estate, in business, and he was even a professional skier. So we're going to talk about how he transformed from a skier all the way to this professional investor. So Bill, how are you doing this morning?
1: I'm great, man. Thanks uh, so thanks for having me, Brigham. This is awesome. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm feeling good. I love the audience. I love the opportunity to, to share, and uh, I just appreciate everything you do. I appreciate you having me on this on this awesome uh, interview, if you will, and uh, yeah. I look forward to it.
0: Thanks, man. Absolutely. Well, Bill, let's start off with a little bit of your origin story. Tell us a little bit about what your life was like when you were a professional skier, and then where did the, the shift start to happen to say, you know what, I think there's more in my life that I want to do than just enjoy the slopes.
1: Right. (laughs) You know, it, it takes me back. I'll tell you. Uh, one of the things that I remember early on, you guys and girls is I was, um, I swear to God, I got fired from every job I ever had. Um, and, uh, so anyway, I graduated, uh, from college and I was going to go to law school and, um, there was this opportunity and I love opportunities, you guys, I always say yes, right. Immediately. I'm like, okay. And then like, I, if I have to back my way out of it, I do later on. Right. But I always say yes to any, anything that seems cool or opportunity or to make money or whatever it is. I'm, you know, cause I don't, I don't want to miss out and then I can figure it out later. Yeah. So this, uh, this person that worked in a ski shop in college um, I see, my junior and senior year, and she's like, oh, you know, my boyfriend wants to go to Vail, and he needs a ride. Um, and would you take him out there? And I'm like, huh, yeah, I'll do that. I'll drive out to Vail, because it was I was graduating, um, and then I had that whole winter to decide I wasn't going to go to law school yet. And um, so I drove him to Vail, and I had an opportunity to stay at this place, like right on the mountain, for the, for like three months, uh, it was his place that he was, he was staying at. I'm like, okay. So what I found out is that I could learn to, um I could teach skiing. I was a skier my whole life. Um, it was my best sport. I played all kinds of sports, but, um, skiing was the best. And I was, you know, I, I was ranked nationally. I would ski in a lot of junior Olympics and stuff like that each year. And then, uh, and then I just, I, I decided not to do a skiing scholarship in college and and just go to school. So anyway, um, I got a job teaching skiing for the next season. Uh, they hired me on the spot and were like, yep, you you can absolutely teach. And then um, and then I was always broke, you guys. Uh, I was always broke working two and three jobs uh, my whole 10 years at Vail. Um, one of the things I did in the winter to make more money is I got on the Pro Mogul Tour, um, uh, Red Bull came out there, they opened up an open division so you could pay to get into these competitions, but there was like, but it was a pro division and I would join, I would do the pro division and you could win, like if you won the weekend, you'd win like 10 grand. So for me, that was, you know, that was about two months worth of, worth of pay uh, teaching skiing. So it was worth it to to enter these uh, competitions. So um, I did that for about three years. And, uh, but I was out there for like 10 years uh, teaching skiing and, um, you know, there's two down seasons out there um, and, and we were always moving and I was always broke. And what's interesting about Vale, if you've ever been there, any Rocky mountains, you know, Utah mountains, there's a lot of money <laughs> and yeah. I didn't come, I, I didn't grow up poor But I I didn't, you know, you know, if I needed to make a truck payment and I was broke, which I always was, I could always call my dad and he would he would help me out and, you know, give me a little bit of a lecture and, you know, tell me I needed to do something with my life. But but he was he was proud of me to to just, uh, you know, let me venture off and learn on my own kind of thing. He wasn't like he was telling me I was a bum or anything. Uh, So he was very supportive. So if I needed money, but my friends had like money, money, like they all worked kind of. But. But uh, like one of my buddies, their parents bought him a really nice Jeep, you know, and he lived in a really nice house. One of my buddies' uh, dad owned the, uh, he, owned, he owned the Hartford Whalers. Um, he owned Compuware software. So when he turned 25, you guys, his trust fund was, I don't even, I want to say about 25 million. And, uh, and I just was always surrounded with people that had a lot of money. And so, I remember working in the, in the, my summer job, I ran the, the Vale rec district, right? One of my, and I always had a night job in the restaurant and um, I'll tell you guys, I was digging, we were digging ditches. We had to re-irrigate the whole, um, and it was cold. Like it was the fall after summer uh, sporting events at all ended and we had to re-irrigate the whole soccer field and rugby field. And we were digging ditches and pulling pipe and stuff like that. And I'm terrible at manual labor. And I'm like, I'm like, Matt, you've got to get in here and get to work. You know, I'm like, Pat, come on. And they were like sitting there freezing. They were like kind of tired, hungover. And and, uh, Matt goes, you know, I think I'm just going to go home. He's like, I'm not having a good day in the stock market. And I'm yelling at him to get in a ditch. And he, and he left and went home and I had to work. And I was like, I'm like, I got to do something with my life. (laughs) I'm like, I cannot be a ditch digger my whole life. And so I started looking for entrepreneurial uh, opportunities and I will tell you, um, you know, opportunities are always there. When I was, I did take a year off of skiing. Um, I had an opportunity. I had another chance. I, I I, I, blew my knee one year and um, and uh, I was out for 13 weeks and I didn't make any money and I was so frustrated and I, you know, I hurried back to skiing and I was able to win and win competition late, late April that year. Mm-hmm but um i took a year off and my friend and i drove to california with all our stuff in our trucks and we lived out of our trucks for like we were homeless for like a month trying to get an apartment but you couldn't get an apartment without a job and you couldn't get a job without a place to live so we had a fake an address i'm telling you and we had like our first cell phones 1994 like these big brick nokia and um we would go to the we would shower in the ocean and, uh, and we, you know, I had two cats and one would jump out of the truck and I have to chase it down. And, um, we were literally living out of our trucks and we had to move around. So we didn't get ticketed for being homeless in the truck in the, in the parking lots. And we'd shower like in the public things. And we finally got a place to live. And I got a job at playing in sports at six bucks an hour. And, um, I made some two really good relationships. And one of my buddies bought a store like four years later. And so in, 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 in uh, in 1999, uh, my last year, he's like, listen, we're going to expand. If you want to join us, um, we could we could use a hand running one of the stores and you could buy in depending on what you're at. So I was able to buy in. I had 15 grand and I was able to buy into, uh, uh, I, I can't even remember where I got the 15. I think I saved it for the last year knowing I was going to buy in. And I bought into 3% of the ownership of one of the store's uh, that we expanded to. So we went from one store and then I got, I went out and had the second store. And then we, we ended up with two more stores. And so over the next eight years, I was in played against sports. I had four franchises in Southern California.
0: So when you went into this franchise, did you, did you feel like that was going to be the career? Like, Oh, I'm done. This is, I've made it. How, how did that start to proceed for you? So I'll tell you guys this story.
1: Most of you probably haven't heard this. And, and if you're taking notes, it's kind of, it's kind of a neat mental story. And it's, it's actually a true story because <laughs> I tend to make shit up, but, but this one's true. And, uh, and so I wanted I I remember being broke many, many times in Vail. And one of my buddies was on ski patrol and he was 19 years old. Like, and I was probably 22 at the time. And, uh, Somewhere in there, and he drove a Viper, and I was like, "Like I got a 1986 Toyota pickup truck, and you have a Viper," and uh, so he's like, "Let me take you to lunch." So he takes me to lunch. We go to sushi, and the sushi bill back then even was like a hundred dollar lunch. Now I, I lobster dynamite man, and and he was paying, and it was it was awesome. We're talking real estate, so he's like, "Listen, I work for this guy. I work for this. I'm an agent." on the side. I work for this guy who's an investor and you know you should consider real estate. And, and that's true. And I was like, okay, I'm in real estate. I, I think it's a good idea. And he's like, listen, I've got this house. And if you've got 10 grand, um, we'll do an owner finance for you. You can move in. It's got four bedrooms, three bathrooms. Uh, it's right at the base of Beaver Creek mountain. Um, And not like right at uh, ski and ski out, but down at the bottom of 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 the hill up to Beaver Creek, right right in the in the very heart of 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 a town called Avon in this little area. And um, and I was like, okay, it was like two hundred fifty thousand was the purchase price I would pay over five years, and then I'd have to refinance him out of it. And all I had to do was put ten grand. Well, my grandmother hadn't passed yet, but she gave all as a you know one of those free gifts where you can give up to ten grand. Tax free, so she gave me and my sister ten grand that year. So I used that ten thousand, and I wrote a check for this thing, right? And I was all nervous, and I didn't really know anything about it. And he kind of told me about it, and I was excited. And uh, I called my dad, and my dad's my hero. My dad's an engineer, and um, and I call him up, and he started talking to me because right, because I call my dad all the time for advice, but I also call him all the time for money. And so, and he knows how broke I am and all this stuff. And he goes, "Well, okay, what if what if one of your roommate doesn't pay rent?" And I'm like. Cause the mortgage was $1,600 a month. That's it, four bedroom. And I was going to get the best bedroom. Of course, I own the house. And I figured I could rent out the other bedrooms and pretty much cover the cost of my own rent, right? So I was like, that's even better. And so, uh, and naturally you can do that, right? You guys are renting out rooms. And I, um, I picked my roommates and my dad goes, well, what if somebody can't pay rent? What if somebody moves out? What if something breaks on the house? Where are you going to get the money? And I started thinking about all these things that could possibly happen because they definitely, I wasn't thinking about those things. I was just thinking about how great it was going to be to own this house. So I started to panic. I didn't know anything about real estate. My dad wasn't telling me not to do it, but he was definitely telling, you know, having me look at both sides of the coin and consider the consequences and the risks and all those things. And, uh, you know, I had about $15,000 of credit card debt at the time or so. And he's like, you know, you could pay off your credit card, and then you wouldn't have to call me for money, and, and things could be better. So interestingly enough, I freaked out. I backed out of the deal. Um, I paid off my credit cards, and then, of course, in the next, I don't know, three or four years, ran those all the way back up again, right? And I never bought the house. In seven years, in 1998, Vale and Avon, Vale and Beaver Creek were awarded the the 1999. Um, World Cup uh, championships the largest ski race in all of pro skiing and um, and they were awarded it and so with eminent Domain the town of Avon needed space to house these millions of people that were going to come in town for this race and they bought this area where this house was and my lot with that house sold for a million bucks in six years it went up four times the amount (laughs) and uh, it was like a million one or something it sold for and uh and I laughed all the way to to my my poor little house (laughs) back then and I missed out on that opportunity um and and it wasn't you know you better be careful my dad's my hero and um I, I I would have taken his advice for everything but you got to be careful who you go for advice for. If they don't know anything about real estate and you want real estate advice, maybe don't ask them. Mm. <laughs> and I could have got into this house for 10 grand out of pocket and it would have went up. I could have refinanced it. If you knew, you know, now we all know these, these terms, but I didn't know those terms back then. I was in my little twenties and, uh, and I, I passed it. I missed out. So, um, uh, your question was, um,
0: back to the point of the story. I can't remember what your question was. Well, once you got into played against sports. Oh yeah. Did I think it was going to be it? I've made, I remember you, you're like, Hey, I'm making good money. How do that, that fire to go back in real estate and all that?
1: Absolutely. And so one of the things we've got to keep is an open mind all the time. So I didn't go in there thinking I'm an entrepreneur. I went in there thinking I was going to be the boss. So no one could really fire me (laughs) because I (laughs) I was always getting fired. I was always in trouble at work. And, um, and so uh, when I got into playing against sports, there was a mindset. Like, number one, I didn't want to be a 3% owner of one store. I wanted to be an equal owner, whatever that looked like, of all the stores. So um, so there was an opportunity for me to buy out two of the four partners. And I, I'll remember to answer your question, this is I, I did, I didn't think, and this is another thing we got to think about, Is I didn't have a five year plan. I didn't have a one year plan, two year plan, five year plan. I had no plan. My plan was to be an owner of Platinum Sports and use that to pick up girls. No, I'm totally kidding. But but I I used to love to tell the girls that that I own the stores, right? So um, I loved what we did. I loved sports. I understood it. It was very comfortable for me. So I think that that's a good thing when you're looking for a, a business that, you know, something you know. Like a lot of people, you know, they get into something they know. And then they start a business around that instead of going buying a business they know nothing about, but someone told them it was a good idea. There's a there is a difference if you're if you're high level running a company versus working in the business. But most of us learn how to work in the business like I was. So I was technically a business, I was more of a, you know, I was more of a business owner than than an owner of a business, right? So um, but I did, I didn't think much past that I would always have played against sports that I would be this owner that I would end up owning more stores and it would be me and one partner and I'd be 50%. And eventually I would, you know, I remember thinking this, you guys, I remember thinking, well, wow. So I'll tell you the story. So the opportunity came up for me to buy the stores and my other partner was the main partner who started it with his partner, Ty and Kyle. And so they were like 47% owners and me and, Ty's brother-in-law with the other 3% owners of the four stores. And we had graduated up to 3% of the whole stores. And so I I could buy out um, Ty's brother-in-law and then buy out Ty. And so they had kind of negotiated the price. And I wasn't even in the picture. Kyle told me, he's like, listen, if you raise X amount of dollars, you get this figured, I'll come up with the rest from my mom. And he's like, I just want Ty out of the picture. I can't stand him. Get so I went and got an SBA loan and I, I negotiated an owner carry and we bought out 50% for 600 grand. And what's interesting is when I got the SBA loan, they only lent me 350, 360,000 bucks because they only evaluated the company at 600. So I actually paid twice as much for the company as I should have. And, and we were doing 2.1 billion or oh, $2.1 million a, a year in sales. And, um, it was pretty decent in the four stores, and and I overpaid. But Kyle was like, "It doesn't matter. We're we're just getting these guys out of here. It doesn't matter. We we don't." Well, it does matter. And I took no advice. I remember, I remember this. You guys, a broker came into my my house in one of my stores when I was running it, um, up in up in the San Marco store. And he they, they had all heard. Everybody knew that came to our stores. You know, we we had regulars all the time. I mean, we did really well, and we knew we knew everybody in the town. And they're like, hey, Bill, I heard you're buying it, buying in stores. He's like, you know, have you gotten a business proposal, a business uh, appraisal? And I'm like, nah, I go, what is that? And he's like, well, you know, you you could get a business appraisal. They'll praise the value of the company based on your income and, and, and your projected and your assets and stuff like that. I go, Kyle kind of already figured out what that's worth. You know, they already have an agreement. He's like, well, you should at least get an appraisal. I'm like, well, how much is that? So this is my mindset, right? I'm t- 35 years, 34 years old. And this is my mindset is. How much is an appraisal? And he's like, it's seven grand, plus or minus. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. No one's gonna, I'm not gonna pay seven grand for someone to tell me how much my business is worth, right? So this, so I didn't get one, you guys. I didn't get a business appraisal because it was a behind the scenes business buyout. Um, We were doing it on our own. I negotiated with Ty $150,000 owner carry so I could buy the whole thing. And I would pay him five grand a month. And I gave him a hundred grand up front. And then I got the SBA loan to make it all happen. So long story short is when you overpay for a business and we made a couple of other adjustments and the market shifted. If you remember 2004, uh, we went into war and I, my largest store was all Camp Pendleton. We were Oceanside, California, right next to Camp We They came in and they bought, a. you guys, we sold like 10,000 pounds of weights every week to Camp Pendleton. I swear to God, with all the people coming in to get weightlifting equipment and they all shipped out 250,000 Marines shipped overseas. And we shut down. We didn't shut the store down, but it, we we got cut in half on our sales. And right after I bought out my partners. And so that is not why, it's not like something happened to me that, but I overpaid. And when you overpay, you can't just make it up. It doesn't, It like anything, it's typically you lose when you buy. And I lost when I bought. Within four years, we were bankrupt, and we were broke. And and to answer your question, I had because I had no one three or five year plan, which is a good idea for any businessman or woman. Um, and I would have a coach to help you with it. I, uh, you're right. All I saw was I would be a played against board. I remember thinking to myself, well, if I buy out these guys at six hundred thousand, and my business is worth then really one point two million because I'm buying fifty percent, then in five years, when I get this thing up and running and running really well, and we're doing 4 million, I could sell it. I could sell my share for a million bucks and retire. Like that's literally what my thought at 34 was. Like I was going to be 35 or 36 years old and have a million dollars in my pocket. And that's, that was my mindset, which wouldn't have gotten me past 40. <laughs> right? If you think about it, you guys, this was my advice in my head. This was my, my entrepreneurial advice because I did not, hire anybody to help me figure out my life financially in a world when we were talking six and seven figure numbers, right? Right. I remember walking into my accountant's office and we were going down and I knew it. The writing was on, like, you know, and you know, we had less inventory. People come in they're like, wow, are you guys moving your store? I don't see many ball gloves. I'm like, "Ah, I can't afford to buy them. I didn't say that, but we were struggling even buying inventory. I was putting stuff on my credit cards and, um, and I remember taking out a loan for 50 grand to buy, to go to Vegas. So we could not to gamble, <laughs> but the trade shows were there and we'd get, we'd get special discounts on items and we had to go to the show and get inventory. I mean, we couldn't, you can't make any money if you don't have anything to sell. And so I remember um, walking into my accountant's office and I, I asked him, I said, you know, I go, and at the time you guys, I was, I was pulling about five, 6000 a month in payroll for myself. And my partner was like 7000 a month because um, he, you know, he'd been there longer. And he, even though we were 50-50, he had three kids. He, I think he got a couple grand more a month than I did. Plus we, you know, we always had cash on hand, but I was pulling like 6000 a month in salary, something like that net. And so my paycheck was somewhere around 8000 a month and minus taxes. And then I go, are you sure we can afford this? She's like, well, you got to pay your bills, don't you? I'm like, well, well, yeah, I got to pay my bills, but can, can we keep this up? And she's like, well, it doesn't matter. Does it, you're going to have to do it. So here's your check. And I was like, okay, well, she's the accountant. She must know what I don't know. Right. We're going to be fine. No, we were broke and bankrupt. Like we should have cut back. We should have let some employees go. And we just, it was ignorance. You guys, uh, what you don't know can absolutely kill you. And, and if I had a, if I had a, you know, I could run a store, I could do sales. I love sports. I knew the information but I didn't have a business degree. I didn't study business. And so therefore I didn't have a business consultant and my partner buried his head in the sand, right? His, his his idea of handling pressure and things like that was just to go to work, make the sales and go home and ignore all the paperwork. Didn't pay the bills. You know, I had to take care of that. Like was just afraid of everything, right? Didn't want to confront that, the possibility of something going wrong. So, uh, so it was interesting. You asked, um, you know, did I think it was going to be my forever, yeah. I mean, you know, you buy a franchise, you put your heart, blood, and sweat and tears into it. But what I know now is, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just a, it's just a means to an end. Um, would I own franchises again? Yes, folks. I would buy one. In fact, I'd, I'd, I'd suggest you own a business or two, but you don't run them. You have mm-hmm. somebody else run them. I, I, if you, I wouldn't pay five hundred thousand or a, you know a million five for a McDonald's necessarily unless you have it, but. Yeah. I would, I like the idea of having small businesses. I bought several businesses in the last couple of years and I don't run, I don't, I'm never there. I don't go over, go. I don't have anything to do with the sales or any of that, but I own a percentage of the business and I like that idea as a multiple stream of income, but, um, but I would never run a franchise again.
0: Yeah. Well, this, this is awesome. I, I feel like you're, you're sharing a ton of really useful tips and tricks. Uh, Tell us about your transition from re- being a business owner and literally working in the business to be able to work on your own business, doing real estate. Cause I know you do a ton of real estate over there in Arizona and now all across the nation as well. So tell us about that transition.
1: So this is so fun, you guys and girls, I, I really appreciate everybody listening in and, and uh, I, I I'm telling you, it wasn't planned out this way. I wish, you know, if you're, whatever, wherever you are in life, if you plan a little better than I do, I'm more of a, a wizard and an action taker. And I get, it causes arguments with my wife. Um, you know, I just, yo, yeah, you want to move to Florida? Let's go, let's sell the house, you know, whatever. And uh, and we should plan a little better, right? There should be some planning stages in everything you do. But, you know, um, uh, the, the one th- I remember, I remember seeing, or you know just understanding folks you know when things are are starting and and you got to be reminded of 3 feet from gold um i'm not telling you to quit i'm not telling you to give up but i am telling you to pivot right everybody see that friends episode pivot when they're trying to you know put the couch up the stairs there there are times when we need to pivot we just need to be aware of our of our surroundings and what's going on and then we can we can try to you know solve the problem and create solutions right and, and then think of other ways that can bring it in even in my real estate when when one house goes bad um and they do right I've done 250 transactions or so and and and, and some go wrong and when they do go wrong, I don't just bury my head in the sand to get right I want I want to buy another house because when the when this thing when the dust settles on this crash over here this alligator eating my legs off, I want to be able to, make it back up. So I got to buy another house and another house so that I got something to look forward to. And I got something to make up for these problems. Right? So I remember looking for opportunities again, always looking for opportunities even in 2005 and we weren't even dead yet. We were barely touching the surface of having problems, but I knew there was a problem because we moved one of our stores and Walmart was supposed to be our anchor in San Marcos and Walmart had a, had a holdout with the landlord for like a year. And so, we were the biggest store on the whole block. And next to us was McDonald's, which was great. I mean, this was gonna be the greatest location, but it killed us with Walmart not opening for that foot traffic and being that anchor. Nobody, our mall was dead on a Saturday unless they literally were going to McDonald's or on purposely coming to our store. And so, um, I remember that things were not good and even in 05 and 06. And so, my partner had three three kids and was and this was his life. He he really didn't have a mindset of you know, bounce back. His wife, you know, obviously was very supportive, but but she was very afraid. Um, and and no matter what, and I remember I gotta back out, like I gotta be the, I gotta take the higher road, I've gotta give whatever's left of these stores to Kyle so that he can at least feed his kids, right? I was single, no kids, and I, I could go figure it out. So I started figuring things out on my own, where to go. So I started asking folks that came into my store. Remember this, like people will come into my store and buy a Scotty Cameron putter because we live right around the Gulf Mecca, right? Southern California, where everything's made. People would steal clubs all the time, but we do police reports and stuff. But, but we'd get stuff all the time and guys would come in and they could buy a Scotty Cameron. That's a three, $400 putter for 150 bucks off our, off our shelf, a used one. And so they'd come and buy a putter and I'd talk to them and then they'd be out golfing on a Wednesday, a second round. And I remember asking, I'm like, "What do you guys do for a living?" I'm like, "How do you have a Wednesday all day to play golf, and you're rolling up in a you know a, a you know a C five hundred an S C an S five hundred Mercedes?" I'm like, "What do you do?" And they're like, "Oh, you know, we're in real estate. I'm a real estate broker. I'm a real estate agent. Uh, I, I develop. I'm a developer. Uh, you know, oh, I, I buy and sell real estate." I was like, "Oh, everybody common denominator is real estate." And, and uh, one guy was a loan officer. He's like, oh, you should be a loan officer. We're killing it right now. And, and Southern California in 05 and 06 and 04, they were killing it. So was Arizona, but not till, oh, you know, really 05, 06. They kind of follow a little bit after, but I was in Southern Cal and the loan officers were making two, 300 grand a year because they were, there was, it was just incredible. Right. And so I started looking into how I could get into real estate. I started searching out. How do I learn real estate? How do I become a loan officer? So when I left the business, I had something to do. And that's what I went and did. I started researching that, hey, real estate is where most people hold their wealth, right? It wasn't stock market. No one was, if someone had come in and, and you know, Warren Buffett walked into my story and said, you should get into stock. I would have taken that advice, but he didn't come in and give me any advice. Everybody that I seemed asked, it wasn't one person. It was a dozen people, right? And most 10 out of 12 people were involved in real estate in some way. And I didn't know that. And um, and so that's why I went the, the direction of real estate. So that uh, so I started to think about that. And so when I knew, when we, guys, I'll remember, you know, I had to sell one of my stores to, oh my God, to my nemesis, to our, our rival, the guy who owned the plate again in the Pacific beach, which did, the PB store alone did like 2 million a year. And- and he was like a vulture. And um, I worked for him in, in 96, in four, and five when I when I went out there for that one year. And I remember him coming to look, look at my store to buy it from me, but it was in desperation, right? So you guys are in real estate. You know, I was the motivated seller. So I had to give him all my A and, a and B inventory. He didn't even want my C inventory, which meant I had to get rid of it. And then, uh, which I moved it to the other store. And then I had to pay him 18 grand out of pocket to take over the lease because the lease was so expensive. And I had to pay, catch up the lease, which was behind by like three months. And then he would buy the store from me. <laughs> so uh, it was a horrible deal for me and a great deal for him. And uh, we moved all our stuff on the weekend. We consolidated San Marcos. Uh, we, we closed um, the one all the way up North in um, San Juan Capistrano Already. And then I had to move San Marcos and Chula Vista all on the weekend, me and my partners and our, and his family and my friend, and some of my employees. So we could uh, bail on the leases and move them all into the Oceanside store or the San Marcos store from Oceanside last, last minute over the weekend. It was terrible. And, um, and then I just told Kyle, I said, listen, Kyle, if you, if you pay for my insurance on my car out of the business, uh, because I leased my car through the company, I said, "That's it. I don't need anything else. I just need my car payment, and I'll figure out what else to do." So he could at least, and he held on to the store for about 18 more months before he, before he finally bailed on it. But um, yeah, that's what uh, that was. What I started looking to become a real estate investor.
0: Yeah. So as you started getting into this, you said you you became a loan officer, and you're kind of working on commission, working on how do I provide the value and the services to make sure that that the marketplace rewards you for it. How did you make that shift? And what were some of the, maybe the challenges that you experienced in, as a loan officer that that were instructive, some of those life lessons that you learned uh, that have helped you transform to who you are today?
1: Sure. And, um, you know, again, if folks, if you think about this, if you've got kids or, you know, or yourself and you're transitioning, you mm-hmm. know, I, one of my coaches, Gavin McCaleb, um, back in, in my early real estate days, I remember him and his partner talking about how they got into real estate. They were taking, they went to a couple seminars on short sales in the early 2000s. Right. And and I remember when they went for it, their story was they, they put aside 40 grand, which they figured would carry them about four and a half to five months. And they had families. And then one of them moved into the trailer on their other, on the other person's lot right? So they reduced their expenses and they had a kitty. And so for me, my kitty was the fact that I knew my dad could help me. I could always move back in with my buddies in Vail. I was single at the time. I mean, I date, I was dating a girl with kids, but, but like I, um, I didn't have my own kids. I wasn't married. I could take the burden of, of the, of being homeless myself. Right. And then, um, nah, I wasn't going to be homeless, but you get my point. But, but I also remember, so I was willing to take the risk, but you may want to, you may want to have a plan, right. And have some reserves or have some sort of, you know, goal to get to a certain amount from your new business before you burn all the boats. Right. I'm not saying don't burn the boats. It's a great plan. It worked for, you know, uh, a few military people in the, in the, in the past. Right. But, but it may not work that well if you've got a family that you got to support. Right. So, or depending on wh- where you're at in your, in your life too. So, um, so for me, um, I, I didn't know how to get into real estate and I, I didn't know gurus or anything like that. I I first bought a program, uh, Carlton Sheets program. I was, I was at a wedding in Vale. Uh, I remember in 2006, um, uh, my buddy got married and, um, I flew back to Vail and I was pretty hammered and I was watching this late night TV show. And, uh, and they came up <laughs> and you could sign up for it for free. And I was like, well, free's good. But what I forgot is that after 30 days, they start billing you 500 a month for a year. And of course I procrastinated watching it and doing anything with it like everybody else does. And so all of a sudden I started getting billed and I'm like, oh my God, I'm paying for this $500 a month thing I can't afford. So I started watching these tapes, you know, and, uh, listening to this, to these CDs, uh, and, 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 uh, and I was like, I got to get into real estate, but I needed to make money. And it's a slow process, you know, when you don't really know what you're doing and you don't have someone really a good program. So, um, I, I was able to get a loan officer job. I quit when I gave the store back to Kyle, I quit and I got a loan officer job. I was pretty excited, but apparently they hire everybody for loan officers, <laughs> <laughs> which, which also helped me. I didn't really need much of a resume. You walk in they're like, it's hundred percent commission, buddy. So you just grab a chair. <laughs> and i was like okay cool um, but right out of the bat i realized that loan being a loan officer and then when i got my real estate license neither one of those two things was going to teach me real estate investing it wasn't going to get me ahead i basically have a job that's 100% commission that i'm not good at that i have no history at no experience no coach and it was going to take some time to break into these things and i was not i was not patient um uh, i wanted to make money and i wanted to make a lot of money i was accustomed to having you know, essentially a $10,000 a month income or more. I always had cash on hand for the last eight years in my business. I mean, things were, you know, I was young. I had a sports car. I mean, I had all these things that, and they were gone and I wanted money. I was broke. I was bankrupt. I filed bankruptcy and the advice of my attorney. This is another thing you guys,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I was too, it was 2007. And my, uh, my attorney, we were trying to dissolve the company and, um, my attorney, said, you should file personal bankruptcy. And I, I said, okay, why, why is that? I, I only had, I had $40,000 of debt, which I can pay the credit cards, most of them, um, at least the minimum payments and stuff. And I was gonna get back on my feet. And I'm like, I didn't really get it. And he's like, well, you have a couple million dollars of personal guarantees to like Nike. You know, we had all these contracts with all these companies and I had leases that I bailed on, right? And I personally guaranteed the leases. So in theory, I could have gotten sued. Well, get some advice, folks, because I filed bankruptcy on the advice of my attorney in California, and I drove back from Arizona to California to go do that. I paid him about twenty eight hundred bucks to do it, and it was it took some time and things like that, and it it burned me credit wise. And you know, you can't just pay some company to fix your credit out of bankruptcy in two years. That's a myth. In my unless you. I don't know. Maybe somebody knows somebody, but I didn't. I paid everybody, and nobody could do it. And uh, I it stuck with me for ten years. And so, um, what's interesting is I had no money, no assets, no house, no car, no credit, no retirement, no nothing. So none of these Nike companies were going to come after me and sue me. I'm worthless to them. They could sue me all day long. The lease in California, Union Bank, they wouldn't have given two rats' craps about me. But I was advised to fight. I should have waited and see if anybody ever came after me. And they never would have come after me, you guys. I would have had maybe, I didn't even get a judgment against me, but instead I filed bankruptcy on bad advice. So get some good advice before you make major life-changing decisions or you know anybody that does. I would have never filed and I would have been much faster, better off getting credit rebuilt. So back to that, um, I remember being an agent and a loan officer and I thought to myself this, and think about this, I can make, I can put in 80 hours a week, which I was doing these things and make 100% commission, which as a loan officer, for example, was about 2% of the entire deal. And then I'd get 100% of 2% and I'd pay my broker their fee. I could be a real estate agent and I could make 3% of a $100,000 deal if I'm lucky, right? And work the same amount of hours, do the same amount of expertise, study how to do it, learn how to do it figure out how to get these leads, You know, generate the lead, do all of these things, take all of the risk, pay for all of the people's gas driving around and still only make 3%. Or I could be the owner. I could buy the house and flip the house and own the house and be a 100% person of 100% of 100% of the profit. And if I make $10,000 on a deal, I get the full 10. I don't get 2% or 1% or 3%. I get the whole 10, whole, whole 100%. So then I was like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to quit doing these stupid things that are going to make other people money. And, and I, I didn't read a book to do this because I don't know how to read. But <laughs> I did read books to support, you know, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you can read that book in a couple of days. And even if you don't know how to read. And, and, it, and the concept supported what I was thinking, right? I just needed some support on where I was going. I probably should have learned to read a few more books. Um, and I would advise that you read some more books, but, or at least get a coach. I remember early on that I had no money, but I would pay people that had expertise, even though I had no money. And I would actually ask the coaches, the personal coaches to do terms. And, and like, I volunteered my time with this personal development guy. So he gave me a $10,000 program that I paid off over time through both money and, and, and my time, like I would volunteer to help his program. So that I could take advantage of the, of the, of his trainings without having to pay for it Cause I didn't have the money. Um, so, uh, but that advice was really good because of what I had learned is I didn't know a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff and everything, every time I tried to do things that I didn't know about, look where it got me. Right. So I had to learn and, and I had to take advice from people who kind of already knew what, what they were doing. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. I guess you you're working with people that are a little farther down the path than you. You have the right mentors. You have the right coaches. Then they can start to help you make better decisions because they're giving you qualified information. So tell us this as well. So once you got into real estate, you're you're like, oh, I've got these hundred percent commission things where I'm only getting like three percent or two percent as a loan officer. What was your very first deal in real estate, and how did that shift that mindset to? to allow you to, you know, do over 200 deals in the last decade?
1: So, you know, the search for knowledge was never ending. Uh, And you guys and girls all know that, right? We constantly try to improve ourselves, but, you know, I don't, I don't do it because I enjoy knowledge. My dad enjoys knowledge like crazy, right? He wants to understand and learn. I just, I just have a different motive, but I know that I can't do what I need to do if I don't, if I don't understand it. So I, I finally found you know we now are familiar with a, a, a resource that was very significant in being able to teach real estate investing and support the real estate investing with some tax strategies, some legal strategies, some money raising strategies, and things like this. So, so I kind of found a resource that worked that seemed to be really good. Now, one of the things I found that to be beneficial to me early on, and even to this day is, um, and it's, it's difficult is that I just had a a true faith and belief in what I was paying for. So when I sought out a professional or an individual that I wanted to take advice from, then I made a decision at that time that whatever they said I was going to do, and I was going to take it for, 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 for face value. Right. I wasn't going to be skeptical. I wasn't going to be, ah, well, that just works for him or, ah, that's for somebody who's rich or that I, I had to believe that if I if I listen to what they tell me and then I do exactly what they say that I'm going to get the same result there about that. I'm looking for that everybody else is getting when they do it the right way. So having that faith and that belief allowed me to get rid of all the, the BS on the side. And I could just go after what they were telling me. So my first real estate deal was, was naturally a wholesale deal. The only reason is I, in my, in my ignorance so far, I needed to make money right away. And what I had learned is since I had no money and no, no credit and no time I mean, I know I had all the time in the world, no money, no credit, no resources, except my time, I could go door knocking really quickly and find a deal. Now, if I had spent more time studying a little bit before I dove in, I could have realized that, hey, I probably could have done some other strategies that would have made me more money if I would have learned how to raise money and use other people's stuff, right? Because you don't need your money, your resources, your credit, you, need, you just need it in, from some capacity. But I was so blind and so ignorant still, I was like, okay, as far as this person goes, I have none of those things. I have time. So I'm gonna do a wholesale deal because wholesale takes no money and no credit from anybody. You don't even need to borrow it from somebody else. You flat out just learn how to do it and you can write a contract. So that's what I did. So I was fortunate that I drew out a plan where I could knock doors four days a week. I would see a a certain number of people. And if I got to a certain number of people, just like they said, I would finally get a deal under contract. And out of all those contracts, one contract would close. And sure enough, in about a month, I wrote one contract and it closed in six weeks and I made 12,000 bucks and I had made 12,000. I made, I made $17,000 in 2007, right? My last year played against sports. I made 120 or, or 150. And I, the next year in, in, in Vale or in, um, in Arizona, I made 17,000. So to make $12,000 was a pretty big deal to me. Um, and my wife was like, "Ah, oh, that's kind of." And we had we weren't married yet, but uh, this my my wife now, which was my girlfriend then, was like, "Ah, you should do that again." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I should do that again." <laughs> now give me the money because you've been living off me for. I'd been living off her for the last year, um, and it, you know it, it was a long road. It, it, I like I said, I don't advise. You know, there's certain choices I made. You guys, uh, one was to be an entrepreneur naturally, um, and and do 100% commission but I really didn't discuss it with her. Right. And, and she was an entrepreneur of her own. She actually bought a business, uh, created a business, built it up from for eight years and sold it and made a profit. (laughs) She did it the right way. And, um, and, you know, by default, I did this, I made these choices before we got married and it it rolled into our married life. And I'll tell you, you know, if you've got a spouse or children or, or, or some significant other or some other people relying on you, these decisions we make should be made, you know they should understand what it, what the consequences are and 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 what it looks like and what and 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 how hard it's going to be mm. and 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 you really want them to be at least aware of it and know and kind of give them your blessing, give give you their blessing say you know if you're going to go down this road I support you because if not it, it generally you know if, especially if we don't set the expectation which I didn't because I probably didn't know the expectation right I thought I'll be able to do this this real estate thing in a, in a, in a minute and everything be fine. It doesn't work that way. Um, real estate isn't get rich quick, nor, nor I really think is any business right for that matter. So
0: go ahead. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like anytime we can learn from somebody else's experiences, like what, what you're sharing right now, you're, you're saving us so much time and energy by sharing some of the the challenges that you experienced. And now that you know what you know, and you said, "Hey, give us opportunities to talk with coaches, talk with mentors, and and don't just rely on yourself." Uh, you've been doing real estate now for what two? Is it two decades? How long have you been doing it? Fifteen years. Two thousand
1: eight was my first real estate year.
0: So fifteen years, and I mean, you've done done great deals. You've had bad deals. What are the the things that if you have someone that's brand new that wants to get in, they want to be the investor, not the Uh, the commission guy where they're making, you know, as a realtor or as a a loan officer, they actually want to go and actually create value in the marketplace, whatever strategy that is. How have you been able to to consistently be able to do that? Because I know there's a lot of people that can do it one time. There's a lot of people that can maybe do it two or three times, but you've been able to do it over and over and over again consistently. Tell us about that process of becoming who you are today. So...
1: This is critical, I think, for everybody, and 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 this is hard advice. It's um, so I'm going to give you a couple options, no matter where you are. Number one is, and you could combine the two as well. But so for the first ten years of my career in real estate, my back was against the wall. I started, I started, I read a couple books. Right, I convinced my wife to use her credit to buy a house in 2007. She had already bought a house in 06. She was divorced from her husband and they had no kids. And and she made great money um, already and she could easily afford the house and I was living in the house. Mm -hmm. And I started getting into real estate, I got my license and I'm like, listen, everybody's buying real estate. This is before I got educated really well. And I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I read Think and Grow Rich. I, 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 I was a loan officer and a real estate agent. I could get a kickback commission. And I convinced her to buy a house 100% financing in 2007 in Arizona. By the time the dust settled in 08, we kept her house, we negatively cash-loaded. I'm like, I'm gonna manage your house, which I've never managed a rental before in my life, but yet I'm gonna manage her rental and I'm gonna put somebody in who's gonna pay us $400 less a month, but don't worry, we're gonna gonna sell both houses in two years. This was my plan. You're gonna get in this thing 100% financing. I'll be making all kinds of money, so we'll be able to afford this much more expensive house and all of these things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and we started, I started my real estate career upside down, $450,000 upside down in those two houses. Um, I was $100,000 after bankruptcy and debt in her credit based on what we had done, moving into this house, getting married, all kinds of things, buying a new truck because we needed the write-off, just really ignorant decisions. And they were ignorant. And I brought her down with me. So my back was against the wall, folks. I needed to make money. And so all I did was put my head to the grindstone. I I had a different motivation. I don't suggest that you put yourself in that position. If you are in a financial position, then I have advice, then as we run out of time here, but I've got a few minutes, uh, follow me on this. We need to address simultaneously whatever financial situation you're in. I didn't. I just put my back against the wall and said, I'm going to go make money. It took seven years before we didn't buy our first rental till 2014, right? The other one was negatively cash flowing only because I learned to negotiate with banks. I was able to eliminate hundred percent free the second mortgage on that big house. Bank of America gave it back, removed the mortgage. They forgave the debt. I also negotiated the second mortgage on her first house in 2006 that she bought on an 80-20 and Chase Bank settled a $50,000 debt for two grand. I was able to negotiate my 100 grand of debt with Wells Fargo. I owed him $30,000 at 30% interest. I was able to pay that off for four grand. Like all of these things started coming, but it took took years and it also took money. I had to make money in order to pay these debts. You can't settle debt and be like, oh, I'm gonna pay you four grand, but not have the four grand. Mm. So the point to this is, is number one is you can go at it figure out what your niche is going to be and stay in your lane and get this done. Like I'm talking about be a flipper, be a wholesaler, be a, be a, be a sub two guy or girl, you know, be an apartment, co- but be one of them. Don't be all 50 of them. Yeah. And, and, and if you're going to do them, you got to raise money. you got to understand money. you got to understand math. you got to understand mortgages and you, and you got to learn taxes, right? So you're going to learn these, these supportive things. Now here's the thing, go do these things, but, This is the advice of the wealthy, not me. We're talking uh, Robert Kiyosaki, Warren Buffett. They say that you own a business that makes more money than you need at the end of the month. And then you put the money into what? Into long-term tax-sheltered real estate, cash-flowing, appreciating, and depreciating all at the same time, okay? So if you don't have a job and you're not making any good money and you don't have money at the end of the month, how do you invest in real estate? So then, perhaps your strategy for real estate then should be that you um, you buy long-term real estate creatively, right? That's enough. So, and you buy it creatively so that you own real estate. Edie, come here, sit down. That's enough. Sit. Stop. And so my next, my next advice then is that.
0: No worries. I totally agree, though. By long-term real estate, that's where the the main value is in in real estate, not just in the in the quick cash. So, finish your your thought there.
1: Correct. So, think of this, everybody: is that if I had advice to give, and I was giving myself advice from fifteen years ago, folks, I was buying houses at. I bought a house for five thousand dollars over the phone in Arizona. I bought houses in Maryville. Arizona which now sell for 250 to 350,000. I was buying them for 26, 23, 29, 32, 35. I probably bought 20 houses in Maryville, Maryvale all for under 80 grand in a 2-year, 3-year span. I didn't hold any of them. We would not be having this conversation. I would be sitting on a beach um if somebody gave me this advice. My my advice then is We need to figure out a way to hold property. Flipping houses, wholesale, they're risky business, right? If that's what you want to be your business, make it a business. Don't make it a job. My, my flipping was a job until over years. I learned how to now, again, I had to make a lot of money fast for a long time. I was making several hundred thousand. I, I probably averaged 300 grand a year for the last 10 years but I needed to do it. My lifestyle never stopped. My my payback never stopped, right? Until about 2015. And so if you're not starting from that bad position, you can consider a plan and you can consider a plan of buying a house every six months. And I'm not talking about putting 20% down, using your credit. I'm talking about hard money, private money, creative financing, subject to owner financing, contract for deed, all of these types of things and spend five years collecting property and then pay, sell, sell the alligators, you will find property that you will get under contract that you don't want. You'll flip those or wholesale those. You'll find deals that have 100 grand of flip money in them in three months. Go ahead, flip those ones. You'll flip houses. You'll still wholesale houses. You'll still get sell houses on lease options. But in the meantime, your goal is to buy and hold property for the next five, six, seven years. And your life will be incredibly different. Because we are not slowing down when it comes to appreciation. As long as people have been making huts 55 million years ago, people need huts and they need to live in the house and we need, and they go up. Even when the market was the biggest, highest point in 2007, our, my house now at the height of 2007 was worth 550. Today, I could sell the same house that I own. I kept that house the whole time, rented out. It's $800,000 it's worth 800 grand today. I owe like 200 grand, right? Okay.
0: I love that. That's, that's sage advice. And it's not just get the real estate it's hold the real estate and grow that uh, grow that portfolio. So I know in in your experience, you you've been doing this for 15 years. You've got a handful of rental properties. How do you identify the gators is what you said, those properties that are just eating your money versus those that are ones you're like, I know this is a good one. I'm gonna keep it as long as I possibly can.
1: Well, the heart, the heart, I, lo- I love this, but the, the hardest thing is we all got egos if we're in a business. If we're an entrepreneur, if we're, you know, an entrepreneur, if we're a business person, you know, if we're we believe in ourselves, we got an ego of some sort. And the hardest thing is to know right out of the gate that we bought a property bad. We paid too much. We shouldn't have bought it. It's the wrong area. We went against everybody's advice. We didn't listen to the math and we still bought the property. So number one, we typically know right away, probably shouldn't have bought, or we borrowed money at too high of a price. Ah, you know what? I'm going to borrow it at 20%, but I think it's going to be okay. The numbers make it work. We can can do this. So number one is you generally speaking, you know right away. But even though we've done it, now we're going to get ourselves out of it and we're going to work through this thing, right? But when you start working and solving this problem, We start to hold on to it. We start to know that we can get ourselves out of it. That's when you know it's an alligator. It's already causing you pain because you can't get the property done. The contractors aren't showing up. No one's renting the property. Whatever it is, you're not selling the property. You put it on the market. It's not, right? You're already done with your fix-up. Whatever the alligator, it starts eating you slowly. It bites, it nibbles, it starts to hurt. You're like, ah, that's okay. I'll go one more. We start to do, the minute it hurts, get rid of it cut it out, Loot. take your loss, tell whoever you owe the money to, you'll pay them back on the next deal and move on to a better deal because it will bleed your time. And time is way more and more than money. we always say that time's more money, but we can't picture it because there's no dollars falling down the sky when we're running out of time. So we know that time is money, but we're putting so much energy and then we're focused on this negative, right? So when we focus on expands, the negative expands, we start to think about this alligator. It's eating our legs. And we're not doing anything positive anymore. We're not buying new houses. We're not going to borrow any more money. I don't want to borrow any more money because I already owe money. And then if I borrow more money, I'm going to owe them. No, no, you got to go the other direction. You got to keep going this way and get rid of this. Lose some money. Take the loss. As soon as it starts to, you know, typically it's when you buy it, you know, you did it wrong. But after you did that and you did it anyway, and you didn't listen to your inner self, then go ahead, try to make it work. As soon as it starts to bite your ankles, get rid of it.
0: Mm. That's that's great advice.
1: We know when it is. When we're like, oh, I'm gonna go one month. Oh, I'm we start making excuses why it's not selling, why it's not getting done, why it's costing more than we thought. Like all of these things are gonna happen. As soon as they do, we're we're problem solvers. That's what we do. We're entrepreneurs, right? We can figure it out, but we're also stubborn as hell and we're also egotistical. And we're also like, I'm not losing any money, I'm not paying anybody money, I don't want to owe anybody money. I don't want to do, I'm gonna do the right thing now dump the property, take the loss, tell everybody you lost money on a property, get your licks, get out there and
0: do it again. I love that. Thank you so much, Bill. I I mean, I got so much value from uh, from your experience and thanks for being vulnerable and sharing the, the losses along with the wins because sometimes we only hear the wins like, oh, it's a rose colored glasses looking type of thing. But to be successful, I mean it's the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. You want to build your your assets. Sometimes you're going to get kicked in the assets, and you have to figure out how to how to take those, lick your wounds, and move on. It. I love that. Thank thank you. Any final uh, words of advice before we sign off?
1: Um, I like somebody said sell Renata's Education. Eric did. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of having. So that's a side hustle, right? Unless you make it a a, a business. But again, if you make that your business and it's what you do for a living, then have some reserves and have a plan because it is a uproad, you're climbing Mount Everest, right? So on any entrepreneur aspect. So if you have a job, don't plan to leave the job in the future, right? Make a plan on, you know, Chris Wilson, one of the greatest real estate investors in, in the whole Southwest significant. You guys, he was making a quarter million dollars in the 80s with Lucent Technology and he was crushing real estate. He was flipping houses two at a time, three at a time in his early career and he started wholesaling because he was getting too many houses under contract. He's like, oh, I'll just sell this contract for 10 grand. I can't flip this other house. I don't have the time because he was doing some of the hammer work. He did not quit his job for five years until he was making more money in real estate, twice as much on flips and in more passive income than he would have had with his job. He had a plan, he had a family, a wife, kids. He's like, I'm gonna do this the right. Get yourself a business that creates money so you can support your real estate habit. If it's Renatus on a side hustle, real estate is your passive hustle, Renatus is your side hustle and you have a career or a job. If you don't have a job, then you've gotta have a plan in reserves for Renatus and or a flipping business; those two can go hand in hand. And then your your support system is your rental portfolio, right? But it's if I had a choice again, like I said, I would make my my lane would be this income every month that I can count on, whether it's Renatus and it's a real Renatus business, or that's a side hustle with my regular business. And my rental portfolio would be my focus, right? And I would I, I would have done that. And and you guys, it, my life would be. Hundred, it's great now, but it would have been great, great uh, if someone told me this.
0: And I guess really to simplify that, it's you have your business that is making your massive income. You take that massive income and you turn it into passive income. And that passive income, because it's there every single month, it allows you to have a little more confidence, take down some of the stress. And then move forward on on bigger properties and bigger- Correct.
1: Listen, Listen to this, you guys. Think about this. If you think about the wealthy and you think about people with a good job and they're doctors and lawyers, we always start there, right? And all the people, engineers, whatever it is, they work 40, 60, 80 hours a week, 100 hours a week, and they make really good money. They're not educated in anything other than what they do. So therefore- they take money, give it to a professional, whether it's the stock market or a real estate agent. And they say, buy me an asset with my extra money. Let me grow it over time. And they become millionaires. They hold it in real estate. Eventually they get out of the stock market or they get in real low yield, high, low risk market market investments. And then when it's time, they retire. The difference between them and us is we don't need the kind of money they make in order to be just as wealthy. Here's why. We learn to buy property for $0. We learn to buy property for $10 or 20000 or 5000 because we learn to be buy creative. We learn to buy under market. We learn to borrow with hard money and private money. And then we refinance it later. We do a burn method. We do all these things creatively because we have the time and the resources and the knowledge to do it right? Therefore, all we need is a little bit of money and a normal job, making normal money. And then we can have that to support when things get tough. When someone doesn't pay the rent or the water heater goes out, we got a little bit of money to fix it. They have all kinds of money. They can buy a bunch of crappy rentals and they'll go up over time. They'll depreciate their taxes and they'll you'll, they'll save a little bit on their W-2, but they're getting the $350,000, $500,000 W-2, but they need the write-offs and all that stuff. That's not for us but we can have the same amount of rentals and have the same amount of equity and have the same amount of cash flow with the with a fraction of the money but we still have to have our own money and so we have to have this job so we can do this is why we can be just as wealthy as everybody else without being a doctor or lawyer or whatever it is that makes 200 grand a year or
0: more hmm. that that's what's cool about what what we do is you you don't have to be a upper echelon uh, professional in, in any sort of business, you can go and start wherever you are, have your your stream of income and then take that and say, we're going to go buy this real estate. I'm going to buy this property and buy it right because that's where all the money is made.
1: Correct. Our assets are our time and our knowledge. Their right. asset is their income, right? So they don't have any of the, they have to rely on somebody else so they can, they can afford to buy it at retail price and still get the same benefits that we do. We can't afford to buy it at retail, so we've got to buy it at a discount or creatively, but we are able to do that and we can still get the same wealth benefits from it and end up at the same yard finish line right with the doctor
0: and the lawyer. That's so good, so good. Thank you so much, Bill, for, for sharing and and really just letting us see what's possible and some of the, the simple but sage advice that you shared, so, so valuable. I, I know I had one person that uh, that said, hey, how how did I get this recording? Sal, here's here's how we do it. It's going to be on Leveling Up podcast. Uh, I'll have this cut up probably by the end of the day. It'll be on there by tomorrow. So yeah, download that. Uh, it's on Spotify, on Apple, on a handful of different platforms, Podbean. So it would be great. All right. Well, Bill, thank you so much for, for your time, energy, and effort. How do people find you online so that they can uh, connect with you more?
1: Really, the only social media I'm on is Facebook, so you can hit me up on Facebook. And then, um, you know, uh, honestly, uh, I don't – you can have my phone number. I'm putting it in the chat right now. Wait. There you go. 760-533-3141.
0: Boom. If you have questions, you need, need some answers. We're Bill's here every single Tuesday with us, and I'm so grateful for that. That's the
1: place to find me. Yep.
0: Yep. So if you're like, hey, I really like this guy. I want to do more with him. Join the community. Let us see what's possible by actually implementing these things. Because it it takes some time to learn it. It takes some time to do it. And then as you do it, it takes some energy to do it consistently. And Bill, you've done it consistently. And I love the the way that you've done it. So thank you so much for your energy. And guys, thanks so much for being online today. Have more for us today. God bless.